right, if you would this morning, join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 15. Do I just need to like, give you some action poses now we can get it over with? I don't know. Um, Luke chapter 15, if you would, please. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Have you ever noticed that you can take a look at some people and you can immediately tell what they're passionate about? I was at the store yesterday, and this guy walked by me, and he had to have been sponsored by um, the University of Florida. There's blue and orange and alligators everywhere. And I thought, that guy is passionate about Florida football, bless his heart. Uh, I've, got, I've got a friend of mine that is uh, passionate, um, and, and he goes to school, so I'm not going to mention his name, but he is passionate, clearly passionate about weightlifting. Just, <laughs> yeah, it's... It was, it, was, it was Alan. I was talking about Alan. Um, it's, Gary. Gary, it's Gary. Uh, Gary, those, those of you that know Gary, you can tell that Gary has been, he, start, he started it. You don't pick a fight with a guy with a microphone, right? Gary and, and Shanda, um, Luke and Colton, Sam, that, Logan, you can, you can tell that they are people that are passionate about music. They put time into learning those instruments. You go to a car show and you see that guy that has that pristine 57 Chevy that has been restored where he has like made sure that every single thread on the leather seat is exactly the way that it was when it rolled off of the factory floor from Detroit almost 70 years ago. That's passion. Passion is what gets you out of bed and into the gym at five o'clock in the morning. Passion may be what keeps you late in the office past five o'clock in the evening. So what is your passion? What is your passion? What is it that you are passionate about? I think some of us, maybe today, we don't have much passion in our life. Well, there are things we enjoy, there are things we like, but there's not much passion. It could be today that the only thing that really gets you out of bed in the morning is the alarm clock. It's just nothing that quickens your pulse, nothing that animates you. Fire's gone out. You don't daydream anymore. You just survive. A lot of us do have passions. And we burn out our passion on things like our jobs, things like our hobbies, things like our interests, our education. But our passion is not often aligned with God's passion. And today as we read Luke chapter 15, we are going to see and hear directly from the words of Jesus what the passion is that drives the work of God. What is God passionate about? And what does it mean for us to align our passion with God's passion? Do you know what God is passionate about? God is passionate about reaching the one that's farthest from Him. And rescuing the one that's farthest from home. God is passionate about rescuing the one that is farthest from him. And reaching the one that is farthest from home. That's what this passage is about today. Let's read it together. Luke chapter number 15. The word of God says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord abideth forever. Jesus, as I'm sure you know, Jesus was a master communicator. He knew how to speak to people, to provoke interest. He knew how to ask questions that often would generate a lot of anxiety. Jesus knew how to tell stories. Jesus understood, and it really is true, that if a picture is worth a thousand words, a story is worth a thousand pictures. And the story that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 15 here is really, really short. It's really, really simple to understand, but it is absolutely perfect, isn't it? Because even never having been a shepherd, you can see this story happening in real time. You can feel this story. You can sense the anxiety in the shepherd as he counts the sheep and realizes one is missing. You can feel the relief that he has when he finds the one that is lost and the celebration as he invites his neighbors to come and party. This is a perfect short story. And it only gets better because Jesus gives two more parables in this passage to teach the same truth. But to really get this story, To really feel this story, you have to know who Jesus is telling the story to. And you can see them in verse number 1. The Bible says that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. So you have two classes of people that have come to hear Jesus preach. The first class is the low class. They are tax collectors and sinners. Now, sinners is just a generic term for sinners. These are people that have made bad decisions in life. These are people that have prison tattoos. These are people that have a record at the courthouse. These are people that have meth mouth. These are people that maybe don't smell too good. And I would just suggest to you today that if you don't think that the gospel goes to people that don't look great, don't smell great, don't sound great, if your gospel, if you're Jesus, folks, is not for people that smell bad and have bad language, It's probably not the Jesus of the Bible. The other group of people that came to hear Jesus were even worse. They're tax collectors. I hate them already. I do believe God loves everybody, but IRS agents? That's pushing it. It's pushing it, really. But these these people, they're not just, you know, mid-level government bureaucrats pushing paper behind a desk in Washington. These are state-sponsored extortioners, thieves who are robbing their own countrymen to line their pockets. These are the kind of people that anybody should hate, anybody would hate. But they wanted to come and hear Jesus. Then there's the other class of people, the high class people, the religious class of people, the good folks. The first group we are introduced to is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a theological and scriptural reform movement in Judaism during the life of Jesus, trying to take the people of Israel back to the Bible, back to Scripture, back to their identity as the separated people of God. The Pharisees were so separated, they were more religious than Jesus was. They argued about it all the time. The Pharisees were hypercritical and hyperjudgmental. And what are they doing here in this passage? They're grumbling. 
And then with them are the scribes. And scribes were people who made copies of texts, typically the Bible. And so these guys sat at a desk every day and made handwritten copies of the Old Testament. And so over time, they would have basically memorized the entirety of the Hebrew Scriptures. They would have become experts in the Word of God and experts in the law of God who had an encyclopedic knowledge of God and His will for His people. And here they are with the Pharisees looking at all these sinners and looking at Jesus saying, Surely He can't be from God because God is not for people like that. Surely God doesn't want those people messing around His business. Surely, if Jesus really knows God, and he really knows these people, then he really knows that the two can never come together. And so Jesus begins to tell a parable. And the point of the parable is to show that God's passion is for those sinners. That God's passion is for those people we think beyond reach. We think beyond grace. And we think beyond hope. So let's look at this story together to learn that God's passion is to reach the one that is farthest from home and rescue the one that is farthest from him. And you see it come up in this passage first by the one focus of the shepherd. Jesus begins to tell his parable about a shepherd counting his sheep. And even if we know next to nothing about shepherding, we have seen enough Bible paintings of shepherds with their sheep to where we can see this happening in real time, right? See a man in his robe holding his staff, maybe absentmindedly watching his sheep, handsome brown beard. And as the day ends, majestic long hair, as, as the day ends, <laughs> the sun goes down and the shepherd leads all of the sheep home. And he's counting the sheep as they go into the pen. And he probably has all of them named. So, hey, Mittens, Spot, Frank, Frank too, and they're all coming in. And he's counting. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. And the first thought that he would have had would be the thought that any of us would have had. I just I counted, I miscounted. I missed one. It's okay, okay. He starts over. One, two, three, walks all the way up. 95, 96, 97, 98, 99. And he realizes that one of the sheep is missing. And panic starts to set in. Fear starts to set in. Worry starts to set in because he knows what you may know, but he knows for sure that sheep left to themselves are hopeless and helpless creatures. He knows that a sheep separated from its shepherd and from its flock is vulnerable to any kind of predator, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. He knows that sheep can be walking through a creek and if they get enough water in their wool, they'll become so weighed down, they'll just tip over and drown. He knows that sheep, this is true, he knows that sheep, if they become isolated, they can develop depression and they'll just lay down and die. Isn't that the most pitiful thing you've ever heard? And so he knows that he has to go after the one that is lost. And the principle that Jesus is showing is that the heart of God is with the one. Now, don't misunderstand this. You can't teach everything from a parable. Parables are not designed to teach you everything. They're designed to teach you one thing. And the one thing Jesus is teaching is that he cares for the one. He's not saying that he doesn't care for the 99. It's not as if Jesus has people that he rescues and that he saves and then he doesn't care about them anymore and he goes on to save somebody else. We know that's not true. 
But what Jesus does want us to know is that today, he still cares about the one as much as he did when you were the one. He cares about the one that is lost, even though that's not you anymore. Jesus cares about the empty seat. Jesus cares about the one you're praying for. Jesus cares about the one that you invited to church with you this morning that just kind of eh, dismissed you and said, maybe next time. Jesus cares about the one that is closest to the drug over overdose. Jesus cares about the one who's being raised in poverty that seems to have no hope. Jesus cares about those that are far from him, that feel like they are hopeless, that feel like they are helpless. Jesus cares about the lost. That's the point of the parable, that Jesus cares about those people like the sinners, and he cares about the people like the tax collectors. Jesus cares about the one. And there's so many important lessons we need to draw from that today. But first of all, I want you to know that he cares about your one. Whoever it is that you know best that needs Jesus most, Jesus loves that person more than you do. Jesus has the power to pursue that person in places you'll never go. He has the power to speak in their heart in a way that you never can. So what should you do? You keep praying. You keep inviting. You keep loving because Jesus cares. But it also means for us as a church body today that we should recognize Jesus cares about people other than us. Now look, that was a whole word. I wish you would have got that on camera. Maybe next time. Jesus cares about people other than us. He loves people that do not look like me, that do not talk like me, that do not think like me, that do not act like me, that have never memorized the verses of Scripture that I've memorized, that can't do what I do at church, that can't sit in a seat and sing at the cross at the cross while they play it on the piano because they've never heard the words. Jesus cares about those people. He cares about the lost. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We're all separated from God. And he's pursued us and he's loved us. But there are others that he cares about. That he's going to call to himself. And he will pursue. Now you know what it's like to lose something you need, right? Uh, It's a weird thing about marriage. How opposites so often really do attract. And it's a good thing that they do. Because spenders find savers. Right? And in marriage... There's this thing that happens where people who always lose their keys, y'all better be real careful. People who always lose their keys marry people who always know exactly where their keys are. There's some of you right now, you have no idea where your car keys are. No clue. And you don't care because the person that you're married to sitting beside you has them in their pocket. You don't need to know because you know that they know. And that, that dynamic, is it's in my marriage too. And I'm not going to name any names, but there's one of us. She's terrible at keeping up with her keys. <laughs> and I've tried, I've, I, one, of, one of us in our marriage has tried to tell the other one, honey, if you would put them in the same place. Leave them in the same place. But don't you know that the Lord has a sense of humor? Because last Sunday night, I got home from church. My keys, my keys, where are my keys? Left them on my desk. And so what happened? Even though I had to get kids ready for bed, even though I had to get supper going, even though I had to do this, that, and the other thing, and had other things I had to do the next morning, the only thing that I could think about was, I really hope I left my keys at church. 
Because if my keys aren't laying on my desk at church, I don't know where they are. And I'm going to have to turn the house upside down. I'm going to have to turn the church upside down and find my keys. It's the same thing that happens when you lose the remote control and you want to watch the ball game, right? Or when you walk out of the house and, oh man, I can't find my wallet. When you lose something that's dear to you or something that's important to you, it becomes an all-consuming thought. What Jesus shows us is that one of the all-consuming thoughts in the mind of God is the lostness of people who are far from Him. And that one focus turns into one search as the shepherd goes after the one that is lost. And you see the image again, right, of the shepherd. I don't know how you see it in your mind, but I see the shepherd rolling his, his robe up as he fights the cold wind. And you see him climbing mountains, and you see him walking through valleys, and you see him looking under this thing and, and behind that thing. And I don't know what the sheep's name was. I don't know what you name a sheep, Carl or something, I don't know. But every, everywhere he goes, he's calling out the sheep's name. I don't know if that's how you call a sheep. I, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Scans the horizon. Uses his staff to poke around in bushes to make sure it hasn't got trapped in some thorns. Listens carefully if he hears any wolves howling in the distance. And he searches and he looks and it's left up to our imagination to know how long the search is. Right? I don't know if it was a few hours. I don't know if it was a few days. That's really not the point. The point is that a shepherd searches and he keeps searching until he lays his hands on the sheep. And he wraps his arms around the sheep and he scoops it up and he carries it home rejoicing that he's found it. And what Jesus is showing the disciples and what Jesus is showing this crowd of people, some who are confused in their sin, others who are confused in their religion, Jesus is saying to them, I'm here because I am the shepherd who goes after the lost. Church, I want to remind you of something this morning. I've told you before and I pray that you never forget. And that is that our God is not a savior because he saves. He saves because he is a savior. Because it is in his heart to rescue. Because he's driven to pursue those that are far from him. My goodness, that's what the whole story of the Bible is about. Why else does God come into the Garden of Eden after sin has just infected the bloodstream of humanity for the first time and Adam's trying to hide his nakedness from God and God in grace cries out to him, Adam, where are you? Why does God put Noah on a boat and lock him up tight and say, Noah, hang on, it's going to be a rough couple weeks? Because our God is a Savior who is faithful to rescue those who trust Him and those who need Him. And on and on, if you keep reading the chapters of Scripture, you keep finding that story over and over again. You find it when Joseph is languishing down in prison in Egypt. You find it when their descendants are trapped in slavery and two million people are crying out for hundreds of years, God, do you not hear us? God, will you not answer us? Until God calls Moses, the man of God, and says, I'm going to flex my power over Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt and I'm going to bring them through the Red Sea on the tri-ground. It's why God sends Samson and Barak and Deborah and Gideon in the book of Judges. It's why David as a teenage boy looked at Goliath and he brought him low with his stone out of the river. And it's why in the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not walk around in that fire alone because our God is a God who saves. And it's why God laid his own son in a manger at Christmas. It's why he was lifted up on a cross 
cross at Calvary. And it's why he walked out of a borrowed tomb on Easter. Because our God is a God who saves. And he ain't done saving. Because the God who hunted down Adam in the garden and the God who sailed with Noah on the ark and the God who laid up with Joseph in the prison house and the God who walked around in Babylon with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Because that God called somebody to preach his word. And that God allowed some of you to be born in a family that had a praying mama and a daddy who drug you to Sunday school. And that God put people in your life who told you about Jesus. And that God followed you up into a bar stool when you were trying to drink away your sadness over your sin. And he would not leave you alone week in and week after, week in and week out until you came into a church house. And the same God who bothered you in the bar, who walked around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who walked out of grave he slid up beside you in a church pew and he wouldn't leave you alone would he the preacher preached and the choir sang and they preached and they sang and you thought you could just hold out against Jesus didn't you you thought you could resist the pleading of the Holy Spirit and you might have a week or two or three or six months but he didn't let you go did he he kept pursuing you didn't he he kept following you even if he had to wrestle you down in the parking lot of the preacher's house he kept coming after you he kept following you until you finally waved the white flag of surrender and you said Jesus I'm yours yes 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 it's one search it's one search I'm going to go find him the rest of y'all stay right here I'm going to go find him this is what the Lord does but I submit to you I never had really realized this until this week after I prepared this sermon I was getting ready to preach to you, to you. We call this parable the parable of the lost sheep. It's followed by the parable of the lost coin then what we call the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, in my Bible, it has a paragraph heading that says this is the parable of the lost sheep. This is not a parable about a lost sheep. Because if you read this parable as the story of a sheep that's lost, you miss the entire point. You miss the entire point. Because this is a parable about celebration. There's one celebration that ends this passage of Scripture. There's, there's one verse about the lostness of the sheep. The rest of the story, the rest of the story is about the shepherd. And his joy in rescuing the lost. And I just want to say to you today that I am so thankful. That because of the grace of God that hunted me down. That my story is not really the story about my sin. My story is the story of the joy of God in rescuing sinners. So what happens? Well, the Bible says that when he finds the sheep... He lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, and this is the key phrase of the story, Rejoice with me. 
For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. You know where we are in this story? Well, on the one hand, we're on his shoulders, and he's carrying us home rejoicing. I'm not lost anymore. I'm not in danger anymore. I don't hear the howling of the wolves that are after me anymore. I just hear the singing shepherd who's rejoicing over me. You can enjoy that later. But really, the emphasis of the parable is, is twofold. This is a double-barreled parable. All of the parables in Luke 15 are. On the one hand, Jesus is aiming for the tax collectors and sinners. And he wants them to know that no matter how lost they are, they are not beyond hope. This morning, some of you have come into this church. And you may not understand all of the uh, theological dimensions of why the Bible says you are lost. But that's exactly how you feel. You don't know where you are in life. You don't know where you're headed. You feel distant from God. And you feel like life has just fallen apart. Maybe because of your choices. Maybe because of other things. But you feel that lostness today. This Bible tells me that if our God is a God who loves to save sinners. Then you might be lost. But you are not without hope. And you might be lost. But you are not forgotten. But the parable is also aimed at the Pharisees, isn't it? What you should see in this story is the bookend that occurs of the grumbling of the Pharisees at the beginning of the passage with the joy of the shepherd at the end of the story. Because that joy is the theme. The finding the lost, the rescue of that which is in danger, the homecoming, and the celebration is the theme of all three parables Jesus gives in Luke 15. The lady, when she finds her lost piece of silver, she calls all of her neighbors together and they rejoice. What happens when the prodigal son comes home? They throw a party. The father says, kill the fatted calf, get the DJ on the phone. We're going to celebrate because my son who's lost is found. That which is dead is alive. But the prodigal son had an older brother, didn't he? What did the older brother do? He grumbled. The Pharisees are grumbling in this passage of Scripture. Because Jesus is rescuing the lost. Because Jesus welcomes prodigals home. Because they struggle to understand the extravagant and free nature of the grace of God that really does find people who are lost. Now I'm going to share this with you today. I think it's very, very important. Um, it's, it's a very complex idea. A very difficult biblical reality to wrap your mind around and, and I want to apologize not everybody's going to get this but I feel like it's so important it needs to be addressed and, and I want to make it as simple as I can I think the mark of a great teacher of any subject is able to take really complex truths and explain them where even children can understand it and so I want to explain this to you the best I can and if, if you don't get it um, see me after church you, if you want to buy me lunch this week maybe I can explain it then okay so I want to make sure you're just, just ready that not everybody's going to get this, okay? And it's, it's okay if you don't. It took, took me a little bit to figure it out too. The reason the Pharisees grumbled was because they weren't happy. 
I know that's tough. It's difficult. But you think about it, I think you'll work it out. The reason the Pharisees grumbled because they weren't happy. People who are not happy grumble. The Pharisees grumbled because they weren't happy. The shepherd went after the sheep because he was happy. He rejoiced because he was happy. He invited people in to celebrate because he wanted to share his happiness. What Jesus is saying to us through this parable is this. That the joy of heaven over sheep being rescued over the lost being found, over the dead being raised, the joy in heaven over the saving work of God breaking into the world is so big that heaven can't contain it. And you're invited to, to join in. Who are you in this passage? Yeah, on one hand, you could be the sheep being carried home, but you're also the neighbor who's invited to join in the joy of the shepherd and enjoy the work of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Guys, you don't have to sit here and gripe about all this. You could enjoy Seeing God rescue people. You could enjoy seeing God save the lost. You could enjoy seeing God do the impossible. Sharon Heights Baptist Church, I'm just going to tell you today, you can grumble all the way to glory if you want to. But when you get there, bring your earplugs. Because they are going to be celebrating the saving work of God. They're going to be celebrating what God is doing. Think about this with me. If this is true, and I think it is, if they really are rejoicing in heaven over sinners that repent. Think of this. Today's the Lord's Day. All over this world, the gospel has been preached. Underground house churches in China, block churches in South America, massive mega churches, you know, like a Home Depot, all those kind of places. Little country churches in the mountains like where I'm from. People have been preaching the gospel. And not in all of those churches, but in many of them. And maybe for some people it was on a subway ride to church or just in an interaction that they had. But all over this world today, do you know what people are doing? People are laying down there, seeing their resistance to God and they're believing in Jesus. Right now, somewhere, somebody is giving an invitation. And they're saying, bow your heads and close your eyes. And some sinner's raising a hand saying, preacher, pray for me. And by the grace of God, that sinner may come to an altar or that sinner may call upon the Lord where they sit or they may do it on the ride home or whatever. But somewhere today, that sinner is going to call upon the Lord and they're going to find mercy and grace just like we did. And do you know what they're going to do in heaven? They're going to celebrate. They are going to celebrate the joy of another one being found. What God says to us as a church is that we can grumble and gripe our way to glory if we want to. But if we really want to, if we really want to be the people of God, then we are going to be people who are enjoying God's saving work for us and for others. Now, which of those really sounds more appealing? I mean, look, I love hanging around with griping religious people as much as anybody else does. I mean, I'm a pastor. It's half my job. But wouldn't you rather be the kind of place that is filled with the infectious joy of heaven? I was at a store the other day and I saw a lady wearing a shirt. And I've seen several people around wear it. I guess a church gives them out or something. It said, make heaven crowded. Well, that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool idea. I'm going to have some printed up for us that say, make heaven noisy. 
Because that's what we want to see. That's what we want to hear. And that's what we want to participate in. So Sharon Heights, there really is, I think, in, in, in more ways than you know, you're at a crossroads moment as a church where you're going to have to decide. Really going to have to decide. Do we want to just sit back and snipe at everybody around us and grumble and gripe like the Pharisees did? Or do we want to enjoy Jesus? And do we want to enjoy what Jesus wants to do? And do we want to step out in faith and follow Him because He's pursuing the lost? And do we want to go with Him in that? And you're at a crossroads moment where you're just going to have to decide. And it's not up for me as a pastor to decide. It's not. It's up for you. Up to you, each of you, individually to decide. Say, Lord, I'm going to go with you. And I want to enjoy a little bit of that celebration of heaven as you rescue the lost. Look, you can't do anything about the past. You can't. By the grace of God, you can sure do something about the future. Say, Lord, let us get in on heaven's party down here until we join in the big party up there. But still, as we conclude today, Gary, Shannon, you guys come if you would. We prepare for invitation. There are some of you today that you, you are the lost sheep in this story. and You know that. Maybe you've been the black sheep of your family. Maybe you have been the one that's a long way from God. Well, you're the one he cares about. You're the one that he's looking for. You're the one that he wants. He does not say, I really hope that sheep comes home. He doesn't put up a flyer. Say, sheep out here is lost. He's white. He's got a couple of black spots. I really hope somebody spots him. He doesn't say to you today, if you'll improve yourself, then he'll want you. No, he's pursuing you right now because he loves you and because he wants you. And so I would tell you today that if you would simply call out to him in faith and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've resisted you. I've rebelled against you. Lord, you know the things that I've done, the things that I shouldn't have done. But Jesus, I also know that you died on a cross for my sins. And Lord, I know that because of what you did on the cross, I don't have to answer for my sins because Jesus has answered for them. And I want Jesus to be the answer. And I know that he's alive to save. And I want him to save me. If you would do that today, he would save you. And he would rejoice, and you could rejoice. So we're going to stand together today. And I, I do want us to, to bow our heads this morning and close our eyes. I, I don't want anybody looking around. I just want to pray for you, and I'd like to know maybe how God has spoken to you in this moment. So to those of us that are part of this church, those of us that know God has come after us, let me ask you today, how many of y'all are glad you're found? Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Me too. But how many of you would really like to enjoy seeing God do that in the lives of others? How many of you would be willing to say, I want our church to be about that stuff, not the grumbling Pharisees. There are plenty of churches that can do that. But I want our church to be with Jesus, celebrating his rescue of the lost. Now, if you do that, I'm going to tell you what it means. 
If you go with the shepherd, it means you're going to go through some mud. You might get dirty. It means the thorns might cut you up a little bit. It means things might be hard. It means you might have to work and break a sweat. But there's a party at the end of it. There's a party at the end of it. How many of you this morning are here and you would say, Jesse, I am that lost sheep. I'm far from him. And I, uh, he's been pursuing me and I'm ready to know him. Let's pray now. Father, do your work in us, we pray. God, I pray that this song would become the true prayer of our hearts. Lord, that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus. God, if there's one here today that's lost, I pray that they would look to you and they would be saved and delivered, turn their eyes upon you. But God, I pray for those of us as the people of God this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would get our eyes off of every other distraction every other interest that presents itself. And we would put our eyes upon Jesus. And if we do, Lord, we will find that His heart is to rescue the lost, to save those that are far from home. Lord, change us as we look into the face of Jesus, we pray. And amen.